drink beer, think beer. You're listening to Broodlands. Episode 116 of Brewbloods, our very special Oktoberfest episode. I love Oktoberfest. Who doesn't like Oktoberfest? We're right on the cusp of actual October, of the month of October. I'm sure somebody out there doesn't like it, but, you know. That's true. There's sure. crazy people out there all over. There's always downers, Debbie Downers out there. Or Debbie's Downers? Debbie's Downer? <laughs> it's a whole gang of Debbie, Debbie's Downers. De- Debbie, yeah, Debbie's Downers. <laughs> Debbie's Downsters that, that hate uh, Oktoberfest. There's a whole bunch of them. Downsters, yeah. Downsters, yes. Debbie's Downsters. Yes, there's always a few Debbie's Downsters out there that uh, hate anything, but uh, I would assume 99% of the world enjoys Oktoberfest. Who doesn't enjoy a two-week celebration focusing on beer? Uh, I don't know. What if you exclusively drink wine? Screw Those people don't exist. Screw them. Yeah, that's true. No such thing as sommeliers. We at least don't care about them. No, nobody cares about them. We're here to talk beer. Uh, we're here to drink beer, we're here to think beer, we're here to talk beer, we're here to talk about Oktoberfest, which is also celebrating beer. So this is our very special Oktoberfest episode for 2017. In past years, we've done Oktoberfest beers, we've done face-offs with Oktoberfest beers. Yeah, we've uh, had today, to put each other in the taints, and today right. we're going a different route. That's right. Uh, but uh, this year, we decided to have a very special interview, and this is with Dennis Wehrman, the uh, owner and brewmaster of Franconia Brewing. And they are one of the one of the grandfathers very, of craft beer in the DFW area. Yeah, and absolutely, they were. I think the second craft brewery in the area, and they were the as we mentioned in the interview, they are the very first craft brewery that you and I ever visited. Yeah, they were the first one that was on this side of the Metroplex. So if you haven't been to the DFW area, um, going from where they are in McKinney all the way to where RAR, the very first craft brewery was or is in Fort Worth, it's it's quite a little haul. So we yeah, decided to go to the one that was a lot closer. I would say RAR is probably what uh, hour, hour and a half away. Yeah, absolutely. From yeah, and I still have not been there to this day. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it's that far away. It is. And people don't understand. I don't know if everybody understands. And and they had just what a beating it is. Uh, and that's driving in a car with uh, you know constant flow traffic. That's not subways where you make multiple stops. It's just a. It's a straight. Uh, hour, hour and a half drive. So yeah, since it's a, it's DFW decides to keep bringing in more and more and more people, then it makes it yeah. harder and harder, and harder to get to that side of town. Yep. So basically, we're never going to make it out of uh, uh, Central Dallas in the near future, <laughs> right? <laughs> we shan't make it above uh, six thirty-five, and we shan't make it west of the tollway. <laughs> yeah, very limited range that we're going to have. <laughs> very limited range. <laughs> we don't go uh, south yeah. of Northwest Highway either, so it's a really small area if you know DFW. Yeah, that's enough infrastructure talk, though. <laughs> we're we're here to talk about Oktoberfest and and Dennis, not uh, infrastructure. Let, let's talk more about Lake Highlands and the roads that are are held within it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, Franconia, uh, they're probably their first big beer, as far as I know, that really made a splash in the area was uh, their Hefeweizen, and it was one of my not my first craft beer, but it was one of my definitely one of my first craft beers. Yeah, their Dunkel and their Wheat um, were pretty marquee as well. I'm sorry. Wheat beer, not the Hefeweizen, yes. Yeah. Their, their dunkel was pretty marquee pretty early, too. Yeah, I just seem to remember the the wheat making uh, a big splash back in the day. Maybe it was just a big splash in my palate, but uh, I remember it making a big splash. Because it was, you know, kind of an alternative to Blue Moon in the area. And yeah, so absolutely. Like they, uh, not it kind of was. It was an alternative to Blue Moon. <laughs> and they made uh, a splash off that, at least in my mind. In my mind. And I would say a better alternative for sure. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So here's uh, Dennis Wehrman, the owner and brewmaster of Franconia Brewing, after this. Hey guys, Josh here, just to let you know, to remind you, to get the word out, to put it in your brain, that no matter when you're listening to this podcast, Thursday is right around the corner. What's so significant about Thursday? Well, at Thursday at noon, you get to tune in and listen live to Liquid Lunch. Join myself and Catherine Contreras from She's Crafty Podcast as we join forces to bring you Texas's live midday craft beer show. It's the only one like it out there in the entire world. We're live. We take your calls at 713-678-0070. We have on the best guests in the craft beer world from the state of Texas and beyond. 
and it's just a fun time. You'll hear what you're eating, what you're drinking. We'll get the latest in uh, news and craft beer goings-ons, promotions of all the latest happenings, and you can be a part of the show with us each and every Thursday at noon. LiquidLunchShow.com is where we're located. Also on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, streaming live video and audio. Your choice. Come join the party. Kick off the weekend Thursday at noon. LiquidLunchShow.com. That's Liquid Lunch. We'll see you there. So today we're at uh, Franconia Brewing in McKinney, Texas. It's the very first craft uh, brewery that Dustin and I ever went to, I think. Oh, definitely. Not first, a first, first brewery beer. tour I ever went to. First brewery tour we ever went to. <laughs> Uh, and, and not just one time. I went here probably a dozen times back when I, <laughs> back when I lived here. And we're here with uh, Dennis, the founder and brewmaster of Franconia. Uh, he's got a long brewing history in his family. So for probably, I guess, a lot of people don't know, you've got quite the brewing legacy in your family uh, going back to 1800s Germany. So can you, can you walk people through your history? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it started with my great-great-grandfather in 1800. Um, he opened the family's first brewery in an area called Franken, translated Franconia. So that's where the name is coming from. Um, Franconia is also the biggest beer region worldwide. You know, with uh, all, the, all the craft beer boom going on in the United States, um, the biggest beer region is still held in, in Germany in the Franconian region. Oh, wow. Which, just giving you a comparison, uh, 40,000 square miles, 12 million people, and 380 breweries. Wow. So considering that uh, we have about uh, I mean, maybe 6 or 7 million people within the Metroplex, uh, we've got mm. a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we keep wondering, I mean, we keep wondering if they're how close, just because of tap space. Mm-hmm. Um, here in the mar- hell in the market, like how close are we to capacity just based on tap space alone? Because people are fighting, you know, just for tap. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, yeah. it definitely got got very competitive. There's there's no no doubt about it. Um, and you know, from the j- just from the area where where I'm from, if you look at it, um, there is for sure more potential. I think what what really is is going to hurt the market is just the speed it is progressing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just happens too fast because it's there. There's not enough time for every brand and brewery to really establish their clientele. So, right. but Sense. I mean, we will see. We're 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 in it, and everybody is trying their best. So, thanks to guys like you, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's every every bit helps. So, I guess Germany had a little bit more of a. Organic speed to it uh, when we're well, in their beer industry. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> just a few hundred years of tradition. You no, know, yeah. it took hundreds of years. But yeah, no. Uh, back to the original question. So it started with my great great grandfather, Franconian area. Um, he opened his first brewery there, and uh, it was mostly on my mom's side. So my dad likes to drink beer, but he doesn't really like to make it. So mm. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yes. Um, so all, most, most of my mom's brothers and, you know, are still involved in the, in the beer business and things like that. So yeah. And I was born pretty much in the brewery. Uh, had my first, first experience working in the brewery with age six and did my first batch of beer with age 12. And yeah, that was also the age when I officially had my, uh, started drinking beer. So <laughs> There might have been some unofficial moments before that. <laughs> oh, sure. So did you ever have any dreams of being anything other than in uh, making, beer, making beer? Yes. Uh, it's a funny story. Not a lot of people know that. Well, that's probably going to change now. Um, I had a second passion. Um, I was actually in uh, race cars. Okay. So I was a race car driver. Made it, made it pretty, pretty up there, too. Uh, came to the point I had to make a decision which path I want to go. Uh, well, driving and alcohol doesn't really fit together, so <laughs> sure makes sense. But you're also pretty you're pretty tall, so most yeah. race car drivers are like really tiny guys. Like how did, yes. how did that work? Um, if you look at pictures from me from about 15 years ago, you would mm-hmm. not recognize. Me. Oh, okay. So there was actually there. There's a picture on our Facebook side from just a few weeks back where we did a um, event. Can I advertise some? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We did an event out at the Bearded Monk in Denton. Mm-hmm. Um, hello to the guys and it was a little bit about the history and whatever and we pulled an old picture out for me in in, a, in in the brewery back in Germany and yeah I was 
I was much slimmer as I am today. So <laughs> yeah. I did fit in. The no, I'm just like just height alone. Like you're um, way taller than most race car oh, drivers. Oh, they're 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 building around you. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> they're building around you. So what did, what did your dad do since he wasn't into beer? Uh, believe it or not, my dad actually worked for uh, law enforcement. So okay. he was a special agent with the state. So you never wanted to be in law enforcement? Huh? Just uh, beer no, driving? That's, uh, <laughs> I don't blame you. No, yeah. no, no, no. I don't that, either. That were some serious conversations between me and my dad. So yeah, <laughs> was there was there family pressure since you had such a <clears throat> strong legacy of, of making beer in your family? Was there family pressure to continue that? Tradition and that legacy? No, not really. I mean, we have we have a few family members. They did not went that went that route. And uh, the last family owned brewery actually was sold in two thousand three, just a few months before I moved here. And um, yeah, it was was owned by my uncle, and the kids pretty much just got out of it. Yeah. After he well, unfortunately, he passed. But it's you know it's just just how life goes but no I, I never feel pressure I just literally grew up with it and mm-hmm. the, I never did anything else I, yeah. I couldn't see myself sitting behind a desk or in a cubicle all day and you know I, I like to to work with products and do something with my hands which that doesn't happen that much either anymore you know um, sure leading running running the brewery is well you you have your hands in everything a little bit. Everything all the time. So I'm not as much involved in the bag anymore as I sometimes wish when I wake up in the morning. Oh, man, I would like to brew a batch of beer. But, sure. You know, so. Well, speaking of uh, the 2003 move to the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, what, what made you move to the U.S. instead of actually staying in Germany and maybe pursuing the same, the same passion there? Man, that's a really short answer. It's all about the women's, right? <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> and second, yeah. the beer. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, I well, as you can imagine, I had a had a pretty pretty good um, position back in Germany with within the in the brewing business and worked a lot. And um, well, my wife totally disagreed with the working hours I put in, and you know, it came a little bit to to a rough moment, and we decided well. It's all good. Let's just try something else. Um, it was pretty clear that I will stay in the beer business, but mm-hmm. um, maybe somewhere where it's a little bit more relaxed, if that makes any yeah. sense. So, sure. Yeah, um, ended up here. Uh, it for sure helped that my wife is half German, half American. Mm-hmm. So, um, traveled around a few times, and then you know, found some some good spots. And yeah, now owning Franconia, I'm probably. Working more as I did before back in Germany, but yeah. um, let's say the, the pressure is uh, ramped up a bit now. Pressure ramped up a little bit, but it's it's all right. So, but you're the you're the king, so you can. I mean, it's your business to do what you what you want, so that helps. I guess that's true. A little more motivation. Mm, yes and no. I mean, it's the the business we're in, and I think people can can speak for that as well. Uh, it's definitely a customer driven yeah, business. Sure. So you know, there's yeah, sure, I'm my own boss, but we we still have to. To, or we're we're leading by what the customers want. So. Yeah, makes sense. And and why uh, why Texas in particular, or why McKinney even, and not Dallas proper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the reason why we ended up in Texas that was actually completely un unplanned. So <laughs> we I you can imagine I moved here two thousand three. So we started looking probably early two thousand two, and we took a few trips through the states, uh, mostly up north because that's where beer was more mm-hmm. forward as it as it was here i mean there wasn't literally anything going on down here mm-hmm. so we took a few trips up north and you know visited some breweries and had had quite some some interesting chop offers up there as well and at the end of our second trip we came down here to texas to dallas to um visit my wife's grandparents which i have never met before mm-hmm. and so they lived here in mckinney and we just spent literally a weekend, uh, long weekend, Thursday, Friday, and we left on Sunday night. So when we got here, we drove down to Dallas just to do some sightseeing in Dallas. And on the way out, we had some lunch at uh, a brew pub down in Dallas, which uh, let's leave the name just out <laughs> at this point. But, you know, um, it was uh, very interesting. They were expanding and we just had lunch there and the brewer walked by and we talked about it and. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally within 24 hours, they made me a chop offer. Oh, so, wow. Oh, nice. Without having the intention of really looking anything up in, in, in Texas. So wow. we were pretty much on the way back to, to Germany. But mm-hmm. that's where we ended up. And 
Yeah, McKinney, I mean, when we opened up 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, planning and zoning was, was really hard. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys, we just talked about petty callers, and, you know, I mean, I, I bring Deep Valley up to you. They, they know what they had to go through to get something established in, in Dallas. So, yep. well, we have been five years before even that was possible. Yeah, so. it was just you and Roar right around the same yeah, time. Yeah, it, it was us and Roar. Uh, Roar, I think, was two years before us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was just, it, it was really hard to, to get there. Uh, for us, or from the area I'm coming from, the Franconian area, and like we said, so many breweries on, I mean, it's really dense. Uh, we're, I'm, I'm more on the, on the really local community. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So looking at Dallas at a, I don't know, 2 million people plus the city, you know, um, it was, I don't know, it just felt more more like it out here yeah and then we self-distributed for the first six years which was important for us too to have access really quick to the different spots within the metroplex so uh mckinney just was the was the spot to be at that point and it it worked out for us and probably helped a lot having all these nice local businesses over there in the square and that kind of thing i remember going i tell you what um (laughs) as much love we get from from mckinney Uh um really really well appreciated and i can highly speak of of every customer we have it took us quite a long time to really uh get a foot into mckinney we definitely had a bigger impact in dallas when we opened up as we had here in in Mm -hmm. mckinney oh wow um which throughout the years changed um i wish the city would think a little bit different or would step in a little bit different but um, all the accounts we have in McKinney now, it's, I mean, it's, it's just, just beautiful, literally exactly what, what we were looking for. So mm-hmm. that was, that's definitely great. So what challenges did you face? Um, I mean, Roar, obviously, I guess, being the first crappier brewery in the area, you guys were second. Yeah, and we've had this flood of breweries after. So what, what challenges did you face trying to get started here uh, that maybe the other guys didn't have to face? I mean, it was, it was clearly... Um, Getting, getting out to the customers, um, letting the bar owners and restaurant owners know and understand there is a brewery. Mm-hmm. There is a small brewery. Um, you know, you guys know it. The big three were the, the big ones, and mm-hmm. especially Texas, one of the biggest market for them. Sure. Um, you know, we, we had to walk into accounts and we had to listen to some some signs uh yeah the door is right there and you know and then we had to come back and we had to be you know just follow up and follow up and you know and just just get to it and uh i think that was was really a challenge at that time and then as time uh went by um it switched over then we got phone calls and hey uh we want to try to carry your beer can you come down but for the first few years it was it was really just knocking on people's door and do this over and over again and you know, get get the no, and that was really <laughs> probably the the biggest hurdle at that point. And, and there wasn't all a that, lot. All those things changed today. I mean, yeah. you know, we're today is actually the the opposite. I I sometimes hear customers tell me, "Oh my god, another beer rep." <laughs> <laughs> you know, really, there's another brewery. So it's it it changed a lot, and and it's it, it got quite interesting from there. It didn't seem like a lot of places at that time either had the mentality of like maybe a flying saucer or something. There was just a few of those places out there that wanted and, local. You know, those, th- those places helped. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they they were already in place, and and that that's where the, where the community started up. I mean, there's there's no there's no question about it. There's no question about. It. I imagine Square Burger helped quite a bit coming in and <laughs> Square Burger. Um, it's actually really interesting too because um, I was we we just opened up. And we, I had with my head brewer, we went out to a local bar here in McKinney to introduce our beer to them. And two guys were sitting on the table and they had lunch and they overheard our conversation with the, with the owner of the establishment where we went. And on the way out, they stopped us and said, what, you guys opened a brewery in McKinney? And I said, yeah, I opened a brewery a few weeks back. Man, we're opening this burger bar in McKinney, concentrating on beers called Square Burger. So it was the two owners of the Square Burger. Oh, okay, and oh. here we go. So you know, just went from there, and huge, huge supporters, good, good partnership going on since yeah, for them ten years now probably too. So yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah, it's, it worked out. It's been a long time. It, <laughs> it, um, yeah. 
So, by, I mean, you mentioned this earlier, like you used to do everything in the brewery. Um, you used to do everything, I remember, like, from just not only just making the beer, obviously sales, and I remember hearing stories about you, like, you would even change the tap lines to some of your customers because they weren't, they didn't have the best delivery of your products, so you would change tap lines for <laughs> we them. Didn't so. just, we didn't just change tap lines for, was, we, well, we changed tap lines for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, I mean, do you miss that side of the job? It it's got to be somewhat of a relief not have to, I mean, driving vans. You know, and, it just it just switched over. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely miss sometimes the more hands-on kind of stuff, you know. Um, like I said, the, the way how I grew up and, and grew into this business, it, it was hands-on. And when you come home and, and you're, you have a beer before you go to bed and that feels good because you did something or... You know, if you come the next day, if you come in and you see that beer is fermenting and the bubbles coming out, and man, this is what I did, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's a good feeling, um, no question, and absolutely. You know, sometimes I miss being more hands on, but it, it it just shifts. I mean, you know, now it's more planning, organizing, managing. Um, still, I'm still out in the market for sure. We, you know, uh, McKinney, we still self distribute, so <laughs> that stuff is still going on in McKinney and. Yes, I I like to go out every week and see our customers in McKinney. So mm-hmm. they see me at least once every every week, and so I it's it's still there, yeah, still doing it, but you know, sitting a little bit more behind the desk <laughs> as well. So what right. what led the decision of of uh, giving up the job of head brewer and you hired somebody else to become the head brewer, and now your your title's brewmaster other than founder. So I mean, what led to that decision of like making that division and giving? Up I still haven't completely given up on that <laughs> on that brewmaster. Um, I'm pretty sure the guys in the back sometimes like me to stay out a little bit more. Yeah, probably do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, I mean, it's just it's just the way how the how the business established itself and how it how it shifted over. Um, I mean, I think Germans are known for that they like to be a little bit over sensitive and controllable about things. So, uh, you know, I, there, there are some things I don't want to give up because I don't want to take a risk. And that is probably why I'm more on this side now as I was in the back side. Yeah. So I, I trust other people, maybe brewing the beer. I probably don't trust a lot of people with the numbers. <laughs> that makes sense. Do you think, um, had you never hired someone else to be a brewmaster or a brewer, uh, you would ever come out with anything like the double IPA? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's not a secret that I'm not a big fan of IPAs. <laughs> right. Um, that doesn't mean that they don't have their place. They have a huge place in the market. Uh, absolutely. Um, the the IPA was really, we, we, we did it for our fifth anniversary first, and we just had planned to do five beers. Um, they're completely out of our regular base, so the double IPA was definitely one of them. Um, I'm really honest with it. Our double IPA doesn't sell well hmm. um, because we're just not known for it. And there might be people out there that probably think different, or they probably mm-hmm. have some comments to this. But you know, it, it's all good. Um, we, you know, it's we we came out with it, and I said I do it once, and. Then we had the demand, and we did it a second time, and now we did it this year a third time, and we had supplies, so here we go. But I really think after this one, that's it. <laughs> that's unfortunate, because I actually like no, that one we, quite a I bit. Mean, we, we, we definitely um, uh, would have come out with it. If you look at our World Tour series we did last year, mm-hmm. that was all completely out of the out of the normal range we are doing. So we, we definitely like to like to step out, but... Um, I don't think it's a secret that we're pretty much based down down to earth on our Puritan law. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that, that's not a secret. And yeah, there there are good parts and bad parts about it. But you know, I think we did some interesting stuff last year with with the Belgian pale ale and the Baltic porter, or look at the ice block. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, those are all beers. I think they definitely interesting to make. Sitting within, they probably don't get that much recognition out there right um because they are not as crazy up there like some of the other beers yeah but, true um hey you know how many people can pull off an ice box yeah <laughs> true yeah that's an accomplishment in and of itself <laughs> to produce a, a drinkable beer that is that high in ABV. Yeah. you do it well with your a, triple dunkle too yeah you know? 
Love the yeah, triple, triple dunkel is is interesting too. I mean, that's right there. You know, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a beer we we established. Um, it completely. I mean, there's nothing comparable mm-hmm. within the in the European market to that beer, mm-hmm. and I think it's a great beer. Yeah, I agree. I, every yeah, I, I love that beer. I have to watch out because that that'll hit you pretty quick. But <laughs> it will, you know what? It, I, I actually think uh, the alcohol in the triple dunkel is much more noticeable as it actually is in the ice bar. Because the ice box, due to the process, it still has more sweetness in it, so mm-hmm. the alcohol is more hidden. And the triple dunkel, it dries out a little bit, so you yeah. actually feel the alcohol even if it's less as the ice box. So true. Yeah, it's uh, they're both real. I mean, for high, such high ABV, though, I mean, it's uh, they're both highly <laughs> drinkable beers, which is just yeah. scary. Like, and a random side note, I do hope you guys find a reason to make the oatmeal one more time because I like that one quite a bit too. <laughs> the oatmeal, okay. We'll, we'll, We'll think about it. <laughs> so Cam is your head brewer. And, he was. Um, head brewer. He was? He's yeah, in, Cam is not a brewer. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, Cam moved up to uh, uh, suburbs of Chicago oh, okay. two months ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. Well, he's still on the website. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. So uh, Yeah, that's true. we got to update that. Um, okay, well, whoever you're, who's your head brewer now? Uh, Derry Grimer. Okay, so how do you know, like, when you're looking for somebody, when you're looking for Cam or you were looking for your... His replacement. Uh, what do you look for in a head brewer, and how did you know he was right for this company? Uh, main Derek was is the the story about Derek is that he was actually working for us before mm-hmm. uh, when we started bottling. Um, we had Derek in here, and um, he really impressed, and we we liked what he did, and you know things like that. Um, and he pretty much just helped us with the main launch of the bottle so he was here we, we needed additional help uh we knew it wasn't anything long term but um at that point we you know we would like to have another position open and and hire him but um yeah he just you know when it, he was a perfect fit again and i called him up and that's how it how it went down yeah. so you know he was was familiar with us and uh, I knew him, what he was doing, how he's doing things, and so it was it's worked out. It was pretty. It was it was pretty easy at that point. So, <laughs> but it definitely can be challenging to to find um, good good people, and you know, it's it's not like in Europe where you have <laughs> again with the group a lot of choices. We have you know a lot of mm-hmm. choices. So, but like I said, there's there's a lot going on. We're we're definitely moving all in the right direction, I think. Yeah, right. Has the bottling worked out well for you guys? Because I know originally you were a little bit, you are trying to find the right situation. I recall you talking about wanting to be able to recycle the bottles and have yeah. a whole process in place. But yeah. were you able to get anywhere close to that, or did you just have to kind of... It's just, it, it's, <laughs> I mean, straight answer, no. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just the way how, how the system, how the market is established here in the past, man, probably 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it is hard to go back, and it, it it would be something more breweries or pretty much the beverage industry overall needs to bring a bigger pull in. You know, there's we are we are very limited in what what we can do here mm-hmm. um, to offset some of that stuff. Um, we created some really nice environmentally aspects here at Franconia. Uh, we don't really advertise that much about it, but you know, uh, just our our energy system we're having out here. Um, our our um, recycling efforts we're doing all the way back to CO2 um, collection so we don't you know we we recover our CO2 things like that so we, we went into that direction because we knew we can't really have a big impact in the market and mm-hmm. when you got to think about the whole supply chain would need to change and retailers have to change and that's it. That's a lot for you to push. It's, <laughs> on your own. Well, for for the size of business we are, yeah. it's just really really tough to do. It's yeah, really tough to do. So, is that why I, I know? So, I guess there's a perception that maybe in Europe that canning is inferior to bottles. So, is that why? You, is it one of the reasons why you haven't gotten into canning, or is there more reasons to why you haven't gotten into canning? Also, because canning has obviously become you like to become, push my buttons. Oh, <laughs> well, I know it's become a high, you know, especially uh, you know here in Texas, canning has become a big thing. Yeah, uh, just it, because it, it, it cold weather and, and all that. It and, did, and you know, I, I might have a little bit of different approach to to that as well. Um, you know, but 
to make it really short and maybe even to get around a little bit of that question, <laughs> um, let's put it that way. I grew up on a bottle and not on a can. So yeah. even the milk I got was probably in a bottle, not in a can. So <laughs> right. um, that's that's probably the best way to, to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, cans definitely established or got established in the market and have a big, big forward push. Um, but like I said, it's it's a conversation that would that would take a long time. And, yeah. Um, you know, I think there are different reasons why a lot of breweries go into canning. Mm-hmm. Um, we still decided for the bottle, and it's it's working out for us. And it's its own investment, I guess. When you, once you get to canning, it's a whole other uh, pile of money you got to throw in to get it done it's, right. Yeah, it's a it's a different pile of money for sure. Um, I mean, bottling for sure is still more expensive as canning. Yeah. So I think that that's another indicator or a lot of questions raised here. Yeah. Why do we still went with bottles instead of cans? Um, bottling is way more expensive as canning is. Surprisingly, the prices in the market on canes are the same, if not even higher, mm-hmm. as bottles. Um, mm-hmm. Let's just leave it right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you didn't go with green bottles, though. Yeah. No, 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 yes, no Stella, no Stella bottles. No, no. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> so uh, I want to go back to when you first came to America. Um, yeah. What was your perception of the U.S. beer market at the time? Because obviously, it's not what then. It, well, of course, it wasn't as good as it is now. Mm-hmm. But what was your perception coming over from such a rich beer country, uh, coming to the United States, and then conversely, like how do you view it now? Like how, how things have changed. Um, okay, uh, if you, I mean, if, if you're playing in, in, in the way, what was my first perception of it? Or, yeah. You know, um, I have to say, due to the fact that when, when I came over here to the States the first time, um, you know, I, I looked at different breweries up north, and, and so I was actually introduced, my first beers were introduced more on the craft beer side um, at that point. And people do not believe me, but it's really true up till today I never had a beer from the big threes mm-hmm. oh wow yeah people <laughs> always say no that's not possible but no it's true it's I mean I just just haven't happened and I when I came here and looked for for breweries I I applied at the small ones you right. know so the the first picture was actually not bad at all yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, well coming down to texas was a little bit different because there was literally nothing going on um but here big shout out to chip from life oak um met chip from life oak years back um i had a friend who actually uh well why do i don't say the names i can say the names uh james hudek who is now with alamo um down in san antonio so I knew him back from Germany. He he worked under me back in Germany uh, as a trainee, and I know him a long time. And when we came down here to Texas, I I met up with James, and so he introduced me to Chip from Life Oak. And well, we don't need to talk about Life Oak. I mean, they're doing, <laughs> sure. they're doing great job, you know. And <clears throat> then he took me down to um, Real Ale and Real Blanco when Real Ale was still on the on the square, were brewing out of the out of the back back garage um, right before they did the move so you know those were the first Texas beer I, I had and well we don't need to talk about what those guys are doing today <laughs> and how, how great the beers are so overall it was good um, there was just nothing around here yeah <laughs> I guess Austin had a little little bit going on but yeah absolutely definitely not here absolutely if you, if you look at that area I mean I think Austin at that time and they had at least probably 10 breweries at that time right yeah so, you know, and then I mean, a lot of stuff happened afterwards. Right after we opened, uh, five twelve opened up. Yep, I knew that was close. Uh, yeah, you know, that was uh, they. Man, they were probably two or three months after us. You know, and I mean that all. This is literally where the where the beginning was. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, and I mean, with me working for the for the brew pub, I. I think we put beer out. We enjoyed so. I always. I never had to go to. <laughs> Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> so I'm curious. Then um, obviously it's blossomed uh, since since you guys started. So uh, I'm I'm assuming you've been back to visit family since you started. And 
I'm curious of how uh, how your family what they think about your beer, and do you think that um, do you think the U.S. market is now pushing European brewers to be better? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. There's there's no there's no question about it. Um, okay, I'm I'm going back once a year uh, mm-hmm. visiting family, so and for sure, you know, make my rounds through through the breweries and the friends where I'm having. Um, and yeah, I mean the the U.S. craft beer market definitely has an impact on the Europeans too. Uh, there's there's a lot going on, and I mean breweries like Stone, you know, they they mm-hmm. move production over there, and so that is that is all well received over there. Um, a lot of the really traditional brewers even start, you know, getting into and coming out with limited releases and. Uh, you see IPAs coming up, and you see dry hopping coming up, which was was never even a subject <clears throat> uh, before. Um, a really good example is uh, a brewery back in Germany. I I worked for for quite a while before I moved over here. Smaller brew pub, <clears throat> and they're I mean they're they're getting into it now. Really, they're coming up with limited releases and and barrel aging and things like that. So. Uh, it definitely has an impact, and it's it's really really nice to see that they're a little bit more open to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there, there's some changes. Um, I gave my mom once before I brought a brought an IPA, and she drank it. Unfortunately, she she couldn't finish it. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's probably not a very good. <laughs> so do you think Stone opening over there and? <clears throat> Do you think that maybe pushes some of the limits just in general and maybe makes the purity law not as hard and fast as it was at one point in Germany? Well, I think it's really more the more the older generation brewers. Um, I mean, just if, we, if you just look at the at the schools, at the universities, and, you know, they, they train the brewers or where you get your knowledge, um, you know, they're even definitely get, getting into it. Um, you know, if you look at it, um, um, the Seibel Institute in Chicago, which is assisted out with uh, Dermans in, in Munich. So um, there, there's a lot of communication going on and a lot of programs where, you know, they do exchanges between the, the States and, and Germany. And uh, I think there's some interesting stuff happening here. It's, it's really great. Um, now you think, okay, mostly what we are doing is, is German and we are sticking to the German Putin law, you know, 99% of it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that, that doesn't mean that I'm not open or that we are not open to, to anything else. Like I said, we, we did stuff before. It's just I, I look at it more like as a challenge mm-hmm. to stick to the Putin law. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, creating beers with the Putin law, they're interesting and they have different aromas and different flavors so it that that's i think what's more a drive for me it's more that 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 personal challenging uh deal behind it but it's it's very interesting to see what's going on over there too so mm-hmm. is it still the case that uh unless it follows the purity law that it can't be called beer it has to be called uh, whatever the equivalent, I don't, I don't remember what the term is, but like we call malt liquor here is not beer. It, you know, it's, it can't be called beer legally. It's got to be called something else. Yeah. Well, the the Putin law over there um, went through a few changes in the past 15, 20 years probably. So at first it was just the talk that getting rid of the Putin law at all. That was mostly driven from, from breweries they had planned to come into Germany. Um because a lot of the breweries from outside do not brew to the Putin law. So so the Putin law got lifted to that point that the law was still in place for the German brewers, but it was allowed to sell beer in Germany that was not brewed to the Putin law. So that started that whole process. And so then it went over, okay, now we want to do something. The German brewers want to do something, but we got the Putin law. So then they said, okay, you can do it, but you can't call it beer. You have to just call it a beverage or malt beverage, right. if you will translate it like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are some, some interesting things out there that the Germans do, especially mixing beers, you know. <clears throat> so, But it was never really allowed for the brewers to mix it. It mm-hmm. had to be mixed at the bar. I mean... Take a take a Berliner Weiss, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? 
We have the, the red and green. So exactly, yeah. red and green. Um, and the Berliner Weiss is pretty much a really good example for it. So the breweries was not able to, or allowed by law, to mix those fruit syrups in the beer. So mm-hmm. it was done on the bar side. So now we're in a totally different stage because the Puritan law itself pretty much got lifted. So you don't have to brew to the Puritan law anymore. Mm-hmm. But most breweries still take a lot of pride in it. And it is definitely a seal of quality. Yeah, That's that's how the... How the Europeans look at it, so a lot of people still take a lot of pride in it, which doesn't mean that they start up with a different section in the brewery or a different product line where they, you know, get more experimental. Mm-hmm. Like I said, with IPAs or even barrel aging or things like that. So makes sense. You know, it's it's part of the national identity. I mean, it's yeah, absolutely, sure, yeah, absolutely. You know, and so it's it's very enjoyable and if you go over and go into a grocery store in Germany now I mean three four years back you just saw the regular stuff and now if you go in you see a lot of American beers craft beers popping up some local breweries over there they have their chocolate series (laughs) right you know whatever it is so it's it's interesting to see Um, I don't think it will take over like it like like it does here Um, we Germans are (laughs) <laughs> pretty sturdy now of what we think you know sure so, but it's it's definitely interesting going in a beer store in Germany compared to a beer store here so I every time I go over there I make pictures of like a what a beer store looks in Germany and I always plan to post it on Facebook and then every time I'm about to hit that enter button I no I can't do that I, what's the what's the difference <laughs> what's the difference oh, I mean if, if you go in a beer store over there you just see so many different beers and so many different brands and I mean we don't sell in six packs we, mm-hmm. we sell in cases right mm-hmm. so if you if you look at that it's it's literally overwhelming you know if you go into a beer store in Germany a traditional beer store where you buy on a weekly base a case of beer I mean you easily find six seven hundred different brands of beer and oh well wow. you know it's all so i'm i'm sometimes a little bit hesitated to post this stuff because yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. here you you walk through 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 an aisle and you have a beer cooler and yeah, you get a few variations in there and it's all good but just just the 80 percent budweiser <laughs> just the amount of volume of beer yeah. in one right. place is is can be quite scary. <laughs> what um, what limits do you find yourself if, if you're playing within the purity law? What maybe flavor limits do you find yourself limited to that you wish you could break through, but maybe you're running up against these these barriers that 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 you know this law provides you. Like if you're trying to stay within the purity law, what limits do you hit? Well, I don't like to look at it as limits. That's what I meant earlier. Yeah. It's challenging, but it's not a limit. I, I, sure. I like to challenge myself. Okay, challenges then. <laughs> what challenges challenge. do you find? It's not really a limit. You know, I think what the what the challenges here, or let's call it a limit. I think. Uh, yeah. I, you know, um, if we create flavors in a beer, they're not punching in the face aromas of flavors. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you if you brew a beer and you put whatever in it um that's like i mean you get a flavor bomb right so mm-hmm. if you try to create this through uh blends and hops and fermentation and things like that those flavors won't be as strong as you know if you have a beer and you put lemon zest and cinnamon or pumpkin in it right <laughs> you have a i mean the pumpkin punches you in the face that flavor is right there right, right? Yep. so I think that's a limit. We we can probably create flavors like this or get close to it, but it won't be a punchy in your face kind of deal, right? right. So mm-hmm. I think that's to establish that uh, that that's probably a limit if you right. want to call it that way. So balance is a limit. <laughs> balance is a limit exactly, <laughs> yeah. and that might be a good or a bad thing. I mean, yeah. you know, there there are some good beers out there. They they have some flavors of fruit and stuff in it, and <laughs> they're well balanced. But you also have some. They're like whoa. <laughs> 
Yeah. But then you have dogfish that does pieces of surfboard and lobsters. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you can you, you can overdo it. So, yeah. like I said, it's a challenge mm-hmm. with limits. I think. Yeah. That makes. I guess it depends on your uh, brewing philosophy. Like, uh, you know, Michael Petticolis, his he's his brewing philosophy is balance, is to create well balanced beers, and yeah. there's yeah. something very right about that. That. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with producing a beer that doesn't punch you in the face. Right. Absolutely. You know, we we hear we hear it sometimes that people say uh, Franconia beers are boring because we brew to the German pure law. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's an opinion, and it's it's fine. Um, but I really think you got to look more deeper into it. What actually goes into to create what we are creating? Mm-hmm. And now going away from from our from from the sessionable beers, you know. Um, but really, talk about beers like a triple dunkel. Talk about the beer like an ice park or our Baltic porter. We do, mm-hmm. you know, uh, things like that. Um, I mean, it's 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 challenging to mm-hmm. to do that without any anything else, and it's. There's, I like it. There's nothing wrong with a good solid German weed either. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree, but it's hard to compete <laughs> yeah. with right. wheat yeah. beers. They have coriander and cinnamon and orange sure. peel, and you know it's hard to compete against that because mm-hmm. you know if I take our wheat and I would throw throw those aromas or fruit in it, um, yeah. it probably would look totally different. But sure, yeah, you know to create a nice wheat with with a nice typical banana orange, a little bit. Loaf, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You can do it this way. You can do it that way. <laughs> right. I get it. But conversely, I would say, like Franconia, um, one of the great things about having a well-balanced beer is that if you're going to try to convert somebody from Coors Miller mm-hmm. uh, and Bud and all those, that having a well-balanced beer is more of a lure, I think, for those drinkers than it is trying to get them into start them with a double IPA. And let's be honest, isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what got us where we are today yeah. in the industry? You know, you're you're not converting a, a Bud Miller Coors drinker with a double IPA or mm. with a um, flavor in hand. No, you, yeah. don't, you don't do that because yeah. they would they would turn around. They look at you and say, "Well, there's a reason why I don't like those beers." Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So they they gotta they gotta find their flavor and they gotta adjust themselves to it. And well, it obviously is working. Yeah, you know, it obviously is working. So true, you know. And if you look at it too, I mean, when when we opened up and you know our beer lineup, our core core brands or core flavors we make, you know, a blonde or a culture, you know, everybody talked about those beers and ah, oh, well, you know, we rather have. Well, look at it. What what is today? If you go through the breweries, that's what their core brains are. Mm-hmm. You know, at first we got a grief about it. Well, why are, why is he brewing a culture beer? You know, why is he brewing? Well, look at it. Those are the core brains we have out there now from the from the from the major breweries. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that's that's what people go for. Well, even a lot of uh, craft beers are brewing lagers too. You know, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So what do you? Um, I mean, there is kind of a trend of. Uh, going back towards like we had this big explosion of high ABV beers mm-hmm. here in the States. And now we're Europe, especially is going back towards the more sessionable beers. There's a big trend there and we're starting to see that pick up here. We have to, we have to. And you know why I had a very interesting conversation with uh, somebody here just a few weeks back and he, he was actually upset that he didn't have his recording going. So uh, Brian, I'm sorry. I'm using it somewhere else. Um, if this wouldn't happen, I think we would turn more people back to the big three beers. Mm-hmm. You know, if if the market would stick to that extreme, mm-hmm. people would turn back because you don't want to drink uh, a ten percent beer all day. Yes, some people do, but yeah. <laughs> right. you know, the the majority, the the biggest beer market is there. And if we as a craft brewer do not supply that market, mm-hmm. people will turn back to the big three. Mm-hmm. Uh, even talking to. Uh- <laughs> Um, the who was it from Founders we interviewed? I oh, Dave, Dave Ingers. <laughs> yeah, Dave Ingers talking about the fact that they brewed the all day uh, IPA because he yeah. said he likes to drink beer all day, <laughs> and uh, you know right. if you're going to drink nine or ten yeah. percent, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, especially if you're going to be drinking while you're working at the brewery. Yes. you need something a little lower <laughs> ABV. <laughs> right, exactly. We would never do that. <laughs> never ever. Yeah, safe, never. safety's first, right? Yes, yeah. safety is paramount. <laughs> so, what do you think? Um, and as far as I know, this is our last question until we get to the you know short questions, the lightning round. Um, what do you think the European brewers can can learn from us in the United States and vice versa? What can we what could we learn from the European brewers that we're not doing? 
be open-minded and start challenging yourself. I mean, that is that is literally what, what I'm doing. I mean, coming from, from the German history and the German tradition, mm-hmm. uh, coming into this market and the way how the market established, um, it is challenging, but it's healthy and I think it's good. It's competitive and that's what we want. And that's what I think should should happen or is going to happen over there too. Just be open-minded and challenge yourself, and mm-hmm. it will it will be good. I was going to ask one thing earlier, um, mm-hmm. related to your question about the beer store in Germany. Why do you think we have such a poor representation of European beer here? Because if I go to Total Wine and I go, I look at one side of the aisle, it's all obviously United States craft beers. You go to the other side, and I feel like the majority of of European beers outside of Brewdog and a couple others, European beers are very poorly represented here. Why do you think that is? It's the size of the brewery and the availability of the raw materials. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, with the density of breweries over there, it is a very local market. Um, I like to like to compare that even to, to the wine. You don't see a lot of German wines in the U.S. either. Mm-hmm. For the simple reason that Germans produce what they need in their own country. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a little bit or the bigger ones go into export, um, but the, the smaller ones just don't. I mean, the big ones you see here, I mean... You know, we're talking about Spaten, we're talking about Hochbrauhaus, we're talking about uh, um, Belton's, Warsteiner. I mean, you name them. Mm-hmm. Those are all the all the big guns like, you know, like we have here. So you see those. The smaller ones, you sometimes see a little bit, um, but it's not a really a market where they would have the capacity for it. The raw materials wouldn't be there, the ingredients. Um, all those brewers in Germany really use their, their raw material that is grown in Germany mm-hmm. so they're they're limited there <clears throat> then you got to look at it too on the investment side if you want to take a step like this um, all those breweries are hundreds of years old mm-hmm. uh, the space is limited right so they're most of them are at capacity and they're happy where they are it's not always to hey we need to get our beer here we need to get our beer there it's you know they're they're happy in what they're doing and they really want to keep the quality mm-hmm. where it is um, you definitely I mean to make a beer ship overseas and I mean it's a big investment it's it's a big investment to, to get to that point and um, I really think that's a that's one of the main reasons um, it is nice to see see some variety packs show up sometimes during holiday mm-hmm. season from from some smaller places over there but I think that's the main reason. It's just the the resources on the raw material and the way how those businesses are run. I mean, it's just different, like here. Yeah, I would say that's almost. I mean, it's. I don't want to say it is a endemic problem, but I, I think it's a problem. Like here in the United States, you're seeing so many craft brewers get way too big, way too fast, acquire way too much debt because they're trying to expand too fast. You know, I, I also think it has something to do with the how how competitive you you want to be. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, the market here is very competitive. Um, and in Germany, even with the amount of breweries we have, the it's not as competitive. If you go to a bar, you drink the beer they have. People don't judge over it. People don't raid over it. Um, you know, we're we're talking about beer culture. I think that yeah. was in, in your question too. You know, I think we I think we need to really explain what do we see as a beer culture. You know, uh, I think European beer culture is totally different as the beer culture we 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 have over here, and I think that's a that's a big that's a big part too. It's just how competitive it is and how different the culture pretty much develops. Right. So they don't have a lot of whaling over there like they do here. <laughs> like I said, pe- I mean, <laughs> people go to a bar in a restaurant and they order the beer they have on draft and they have a good time and they have one or two beers and they sit with their friends and they have what we call a stumptisch, you know, where People go every evening and they have a beer with their friends after after work and they go home and they had a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, man, here it's like, oh man, I had this beer, I had this beer. No, I didn't like this. I, you know, and <laughs> trying to smell in the, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't exist in that, right. in that way. And you know, but now we're going back to being open minded, yeah, being yeah. you know, <laughs> challenge yourself. You yeah. know, it's it's. It's a it's 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 very interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting, but I think it has a lot to do with that. Why you don't see that many of those beers here? Well, as we're drinking your Oktoberfest here, um, <clears throat> I assume you've been to Oktoberfest in Germany. 
Um, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, what's it like for somebody who hasn't been there? <laughs> but never mind. <laughs> now, Oktoberfest is, I mean, if, if you have the chance in your life to go to the Oktoberfest, it's definitely uh, should be on your bucket list. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up that close to the Oktoberfest and um, lived in, in Munich for a few years while, while going to the UT and you know coming out of the out of a brewer's family by side of Oktoberfest having dealt with with beer festivals my whole life in those extents beer festivals are over there different too as beer festivals we know here right? mm-hmm. true um, so it's it's a great time it's literally something you should do if you have the chance in your life um it seems I overwhelming don't have to go back. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Just looking at pictures, it seems like you know, wow. It's like it seems overwhelming. <laughs> it's it it literally is overwhelming. I mean, you got to look at it this way: the Oktoberfest goes for two weeks, three weekends, two weeks, and they're serving in those few days as much beer as all Texas breweries together mm-hmm. produce in a year. Wow! Wow! That's what they're consuming now. <laughs> and amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, it is unbelievable. <laughs> like I said, if you if you can be part of it once in your life, do it. Um, I I rather go to smaller beer festivals, more more the the local beer festivals. Yeah, um, I I don't necessarily have to go to the original <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I aim to get there someday. Maybe. Yeah, Dude, you, just, like I said, you, you definitely should do it. You yeah, do it. I'd like to try it once too. Yeah, you definitely should do it. Yeah, I think my wife just looked at pictures of it. And she she was like, she already has like, a, <laughs> I, she get like big crowds like that. She gets you know a little bit anxious, and she just like when she's like, I don't know if I could do. I was going to say, I think you and I would have to do I that. I don't have think to. either one of our wives would want <laughs> yeah. to. Get. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, so let's get to our lightning round questions. Awesome. So I think you already answered this, but what was your first beer? It was the your family brewery's beer. No, it actually was not. Okay. My first beer, if I can trust what I was told, was actually a spot in Hellas. Okay. <clears throat> so How old were you at the time? <laughs> Just too young to recall it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> old enough to grab something on the table? There, there's, there's actually, there actually exists a picture. Um, like I said, I don't know how old I was. I would, would need to ask my parents, but... Uh, there was a family outing in a in a restaurant in Germany, and there was a picture where me as a little kid sitting on the table. I even think I wear diapers if I, if I remember <laughs> that right. I will find that picture, and I'm I'm holding holding a, a, a beer stein, and it has Spaten Hellas in it, and I'm drinking out of that beer. So that is known for me as the first beer I had. So that's a different experience growing up in Germany than in the U.S. That would yeah, not it definitely is. yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so, what do you think your first craft beer was? I know, I know you re- rebel somewhat against the uh, the name craft, but I mean, from what I've read. But uh, what do you think your first craft beer was? Okay, considering this now here in the states, the first uh, craft beer here, or what do you consider? Because uh, if, if you look at it this way, I think I would still call the majority of the beers in Germany craft beers. Yeah, too, yeah. Just, I mean, I mean, sure. if, if you go go through the size, but I mean, that was probably definitely family, yeah, family business wise. I mean, yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. So outside of Franconia, do you have a particular favorite brewery that you go to? Does it have to be local? Or no, no. It does not have to be. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Um, there are actually a few of them. There's a brewery in Germany. It's called Gutmann. <laughs> and all they do is uh, Hefeweizens. And they make an outstanding Gutmann Hefeweizen. So if you ever have the chance to go to the southern part of Germany or the Franconian region... Um, Make sure you find a good Mann Hefeweizen, uh, really, really good one. And then, I mean, there's a lot of small breweries. Um, there's we got a brewery in a little town called Leinburg. They make really, really great beer. So definitely like to go back to to those roots mm-hmm. every time I go back. So those are probably some some of my favorites. Um, if you go local, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I want to be, don't want to be unfair, but <laughs> you know, like I said earlier, I definitely appreciate and like everything Chip is doing mm-hmm. from Live Oak. Uh, shout out to Michael. Um, if I go somewhere and they don't carry Franconia, my second run is probably going to 
Pedicola, so mm-hmm. uh, no, no doubt about it. So, yeah. So if you could put one thought into every beer drinker's head, what would it be? <laughs> when I leave my brewery in the evening, I like to talk about different stuff, too. I don't necessarily have to talk about beer. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat ironic being on this show. <laughs> That's 40. Uh, so is brewing more art or science? Uh, I got a straight up answer for that. It's um, 80% science and it's 20% art. So it's an art. That the 20% art is how you work with the science. It's a good answer. But I think 80% is science and 20% is art. Um, and I think there is a reason why if you really go through brewing school and you know get the brewmaster title, um, you will understand why it's more science as art. Mm. <clears throat> I think that might be the best answer we've had yet. Yeah. That question. <laughs> and uh, do you trend more just in general to ales or lagers, or is it just the mood you're in that day? <sighs> Man, it, it, it's not necessarily a mood, and I don't really like to make that big of a difference because I know a lot of people really say they like lager batters or they, they like ale batters. Um, I think we can put lager or ale beers in front of a lot of people. They think they can make a difference, but if you let them try it and they don't know what it is, they can't really make the difference. Um, now, if you make a difference between a wheat beer or you know something like that, then uh, I'm a big wheat beer fan. So in that mm-hmm. matter, yes, I like ales, but um, I like a lot. I mean, I drink a lot of lagers too. Mm-hmm. So, but if you go down to the basics between lager or ale, I think there are a lot of lager and ales out there you can put in, you can drink and you couldn't really make a difference or you couldn't tell, okay, this is for sure a lager or this is for sure an ale. I think that's very difficult to do. And mm-hmm. so I like both equally. <laughs> gotcha. <clears throat> I probably had some beers. I thought it's a lager and it really was an ale mm-hmm. or the opposite way, you know, <laughs> It's got to be prom- yeah. promising with uh, the new yeast strains for lager that they're working on. That that that's what makes it difficult. That's yeah. why it makes it really difficult. Because what two yeast strains traditionally, and then they finally that, found some that's more. It. Well, and if you look at the traditional ale yeast strains, you know now we're talking about the Hefeweizen strains. We're mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. the the Kolsch strains, um, you know, or the typical American ale strains. Um, yes, you can definitely tell a difference there, but. With the yeast variations we have today and they're coming out, it's getting more and more difficult. I mean, we're talking about hybrids, right? right. Um, it, it's getting more and more difficult. And like I said, if you got lager yeast strains, they're, they're so so detailed out today that you can pretty much brew a lager beer within a matter of a few days. Oh, wow. <clears throat> you know, the, uh, how do you make a difference? I mean, <laughs> you know? Yeah, fair enough. So it's it's getting more difficult. So 20 years ago, it, yeah, yeah, it probably wouldn't have been to that point, but today it's getting more difficult. <clears throat> so uh, anything you got coming up you want to you wanna talk about? or? Man, we actually got a lot coming up, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, fair enough. We'll just wait to see it then. Um, I mean, we, we got, uh, we're on the Oktoberfest season right now, so um, that's, that's our, our season to shine. Um, our Oktoberfest is by far our best-selling seasonal beer. Uh, will be followed definitely by the falling buck again. We changed the falling buck up this year a little bit. Um, most of our seasonal beers, due to the to the tradition again, and here we're probably talking now about what you know uh, how how we are open to. Um, most of our seasonal beers are more on the sweeter side. I mean, if you take a Maybach, it's more on the maltier side. Our Oktoberfest is on the maltier side. Our falling bark was on the maltier side, so we changed the falling bark up a little bit this year. Um, we actually added more hops. We definitely increased the hop bill on the falling bark to to offset it a little bit. So falling bark is coming out. Um, we decided to do the Baltic Porter as the winter seasonal again. So for years we had the winter wheat. Uh, last year, first year, we switched that over to the Baltic Porter, and it was very well received in the market. So we are sticking to that, and. Well, we have our 10-year anniversary coming up, so mm-hmm. there's more stuff to come, but yeah. um, we got to... It's all in secret. It's, <laughs> sure. it's, it's all in secret. Uh, the, well, I will, I will release one secret, which is not really a secret, because Bobby already is mentioning that everywhere. Um, 
I think we will have a lot of different variations, maybe 10 different icebox this year for our 10-year anniversary. Oh, wow. Are you, uh, you guys having a big party for your 10-year? <clears throat> we, uh, soon Oktoberfest season is over, we will start planning uh, 10-year anniversary party. Wow. I mean, there's definitely something happening. Excellent. Well, congratulations on 10 years, and here's to another, <laughs> another 10, another 15, another 20. <laughs> Let's hope for it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you, guys. Well, thanks for listening to episode 116 of Rebloods. Thanks a lot to Dennis Werman. Uh, he gave us a very long interview. I wish we could have uh, included some of the, the... We had a really great conversation after, and unfortunately we were not recording that. That was the longest uh, uh, post-game discussion we've ever had. It was. It was. But, it was pretty uh, awesome. Dennis gave us, yeah, Dennis uh, was very welcoming and gave us a lot of great information after the fact. Uh, it was cool to cool to talk to him, a uh, guy that's been in the scene for a long time, and uh, very appreciative that uh, he's around to keep these... You know, some non-extreme styles around. Yeah, absolutely. Keep the, uh, the old school beer game alive in the area. And one thing I didn't think about to ask him about was, you know, being a German immigrant and, uh, you know, being in Texas, we have a, a strong, much like a lot of the Midwest, um, you know, north of us, we have a strong German influence uh, in Texas. And I kind of wonder, I, oh. I forgot to ask, like, how much did that play in his, you know, decision of, of making beer of that style? Or was it all Take, an, on his heritage? Yeah. Take a look at Shiner, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and uh, not only that, the German influence and then the Czech influence as well, you know. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. A, a tremendous uh, tremendous uh, European immigrant uh, history here in Texas. So That's a little uh, Texas I, fun fact for all of you guys who don't live in yeah, Texas. Texas fun fact. If you didn't enjoy those fun absolutely. facts we gave about infrastructure around <laughs> Lake Highlands, <laughs> hopefully you enjoyed that one. Hopefully you enjoyed our generic immigrant facts. <laughs> we'll, we'll have more each week show. for you. Well, actually, that'll be another shorty. Uh, generic immigrant <laughs> fact podcast. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening to the show. We appreciate your support. If you're not uh, subscribed to the show, you can do that for free. It costs you zero dollars. Just go to brewbuzz.net. There's links to all that. Why have I been paying 50 bucks a month for this? Uh, yeah, if, you, if we set up a Patreon, maybe you guys can uh, <laughs> some shoot us some shuckles, but uh, we don't have that right now. Uh, if you have any podcast app like the built-in one to, to iOS, I don't know if there's one for Android, or if you have any other podcast app, you could probably find us in there. It doesn't cost you a penny. You can subscribe to us, and you'll get us every single week if you enjoy our content. Or uh, if every you time we release an episode, which is almost every week. We're pretty close. Almost every week, yeah. Uh, if you enjoy the show, you might enjoy our other occasional podcast called The Break Room. You can find that at breakroom.tv. Same thing. The link's there to find uh, find the show. And if you don't mind, if you have a minute, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate that. Helps other people find our little beer show. Check us out on the social networks, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you have any feedback on the show, you can call us at 469-573-BEER. That's 469-573-2337. We should say we may not be around next week. Uh, we're both going on vacation. And so we may not have not an together next for week. once. Not together for once. Yeah, it's for some in a while. Uh, but we may have, uh, we should have an episode after that, the week after that. But yeah, yeah, don't expect anything from us next week. Dustin's going to Vegas. I'm going to California. And then I'm going to go get my butt kicked in the wilds of Houston, Texas. So yeah. physically kicked. Yeah. And that's just a special thing that he likes to do. It has it's yeah. no specific purpose that we can talk about, at least on this nope. clean show. Uh, maybe you can hear about that in the break room, all his, uh, ex- all his escapades <laughs> down in Houston. That's right. It's a it's a secret government mission to get my ass kicked. Yeah. All right. We'll catch you guys next week, uh, or we'll catch you guys some other time for uh, the next. We'll catch you down the road of, shortly. Yeah. We'll catch you guys down the road for the next episode of Brew Bloods. For Dustin, I'm Mark. For Mark, I'm Dustin. Probst. Probst. Ein Prost. Ein Prost.